shiny object syndrome or worthwhile pivot? Which is it? How do you know? This is what we will dive into today as we begin another Mindset Mastery class with your professor, me, Laura Catella. Thank you all and thank yourselves for being here. So is it a pivot or is it shiny object syndrome? Let me get a lay of the land from you guys and ask you who feels like they struggle or they face shiny object syndrome in the course of their careers. Yeah, I see some hands going up. You type a one in the chat if you've ever encountered some shiny object syndrome. Type a one so I can know. Okay, cool, we're getting a handful of ones. One question that I always have to kick us off with a topic like this is, how do you know? How do you know that you're dealing with shiny object syndrome? What are the thoughts and behaviors that are coming up or that you're executing that indicate to you that you're dealing with shiny object syndrome. One of the ways it manifests for me, we see a lot of Facebook ads, right? <laughs> we see a lot, a lot of Facebook ads. And I'll see a Facebook ad with a tactic or a strategy. And I'm so curious, right? And I buy a lot of stuff. I go, you know, through a lot of other folks' material, see what's good, what's not so good. And so late at night, when I'm scrolling social media, which I should not be doing, but I do, and I see an ad, and it could be midnight, you know, uh, become a life coach for $7. And I'm like, should I do that? <laughs> should I become a life coach for seven bucks? Oh, that is that shiny object syndrome popping its head up and affecting my thoughts and behavior a little bit. So how do we get on top of this? How do we control it and it not control us? That is what we will be diving into today. So a lot of you have expressed that yes, shiny object syndrome comes up for you. That is to be expected for multi-talented and multi-passionate people. And in a little bit, we'll discuss the complexity and the dance here because we're taught to focus on one thing. We're taught to specialize. Is that going against the multi-passionate and multi-talented parts of our personalities? Is it not playing our game to specialize? Perhaps sometimes. When is it better to generalize? Because there is no one or the other. Anybody who says you must do one thing, it's an oversimplified approach, in my opinion. So when does it make sense to be more faceted? And when does it make sense to dig deeper and specialize? You're told so often to focus on one thing that you may feel confused or broken or different because you're multi-interested, multi-passionate, and multi-talented. You may wonder, what's wrong with me? Why am I such a weirdo that it is challenging to focus on just one thing. So let me first relieve you. You are not a weirdo. You are not a weirdo. You are that multi-talented, multi-faceted person. And generally we should embrace that. And we'll get into the specifics where it might not be worthwhile to embrace it. But generally we talk about playing our game. Why would we fight against who we are? That seems like a laborious, not useful fight. Instead, let's fight on being more of who we are instead of fighting against who we are. Boo-hoo, there are no clear answers to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know the clear answer is so appealing. That's why we will go and buy it when somebody else promises it to us. But where has that gotten us so far, we're still here, not feeling seen, understood, or expressed, even by ourselves. So what does shiny object syndrome give us? Huh? It gives us something? Yeah, it gives us a lot. It gives us a lot. There, there are reasons that we have this syndrome called shiny object syndrome. And some of them are adaptive, which is to say useful, right? Shiny object syndrome 
gives us the ability to get a lot of dopamine because anytime you're clicking a lot of buttons and doing a lot of stuff and living in the chaos of having multiple things going on at once, that's a ton of dopamine that's getting released for you. And that can feel good, even in the middle of the chaos. Who here has felt so busy, but you feel good, you feel alive in all of, in all of that busyness in juggling the multiple plates? So that's one thing shiny object syndrome gives to you. And that's one reason you may consciously or subconsciously seek it out. So the question then becomes, well, how do we get that dopamine, but in a way that really serves our highest good, drives us closer to our main goals and in the fulfillment of our main purposes. Shiny object syndrome also gives us a, an excuse when things don't work out with that perceived bright side of, oh, I have this other thing. This didn't work out, but I have this other thing. So maybe that will work out. Now, of course, the question in that instance becomes, well, did original thing, I'll call it OT, <laughs> did OT not work out because you were too segmented? Maybe, maybe not. Useful things to think about. Shiny object syndrome also gives us reasons to not say no. And if we have any sort of programming or ripple effect that makes it hard for us to say no, right? We want to please others. We want to taste everything on the menu. We don't want to miss out. Then our shiny object syndrome gives us the orientation with which we don't need to say no. We get to say yes to everything. But deep down, we understand resources are scarce, our time and attention are scarce, our bandwidth is scarce, and we can only say yes to so much. So that leaves us more complexity. Shiny object syndrome also offloads your personal responsibility. Because if you're saying yes to everything, you're letting all those external factors, all those things you're saying yes to, make your decisions for you versus when you say no to let's call it 80, 90% of stuff, you are making the bet and the choice on what you're going to focus on. And that is personal responsibility. That means if the things you decide to focus on do not work out, you are risking being the one you have to blame in the end. Now, of course, the trick is to not blame yourself at all. But we will often offload that personal responsibility and end up juggling multiple plates. And the downside to that is, of course, not making progress in the directions where you really want to go. Shiny object syndrome gives us a sense of familiarity as well. In school, we're taught multiple subjects, right? It's not until you choose a major at the college level and you're moving into adulthood that you begin to focus and specialize on something. In school, you get 40 minutes of math and then you gotta go over to 40 minutes of art. <laughs> you could say that that's shiny object syndrome, <laughs> played out in our academic career. So we're familiar with juggling. And what do we do? We choose the familiar. We do not choose what is good. We choose what is familiar. We choose what we know. Shiny object syndrome gives us the ability and the reasons to not commit. It robs us of the time and focus and attention that we could have to commit to something. But again, commitment comes with perceived risk. If I commit and it doesn't work out, I have failed. And so what we will often do, sometimes very subconsciously, is manufacture ways to not commit. And shiny object syndrome is one of them. There is more pain if you fuck up and you're very, very deep in the ocean. You will likely drown, right? Whereas if you're on the surface of everything and you fuck up and a jellyfish stings you, you'll most likely be okay because you're on the surface. So we avoid that perceived risk. But how can we modify all that so that we can go deep into the ocean when we want to, when it serves us, and we get bit by a jellyfish? 
How can we manufacture it so we're still okay down there? These are the ways we need to start thinking. We avoid FOMO. We avoid the feeling of FOMO. Well, I tried it. I don't miss out. But if you dabble in everything, you also kind of have FOMO with everything because you don't get to go deep in anything. Shiny object syndrome allows you to procrastinate or to be overwhelmed, which is in fact a solution to other problems you may have. What is feeling overwhelmed a solution for? I'm gonna leave that question open to you. Any behavior or feeling that you have that when you're thinking logically and you realize is maladaptive, I want you to ask yourself, what is this actually a solution for? What is procrastination a solution for? What is negative self-talk a solution for? Instead of just trying to beat these things down as problems that you try to suppress, if you can instead acknowledge what these are solutions for, you'll become more clear in other ways, more adaptive, empowering ways to get those solutions without the negative behavior. And as we touched on, shiny object syndrome lets you feel so busy. And busyness can often be perceived as being valuable, right? If you are busy, then your time is scarce, and that which is scarce is valuable. So if we keep ourselves busy, we feel valuable, and we're getting all that dopamine from doing a bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, when we don't feel fulfilled, and when we're trying to sleep at night and we're wondering why aren't I further ahead, that is the downside. What do we do about that? We also end up feeling valuable because we get to say things like we're a jack of all trades. I'm a jack of all trades. I know a lot of stuff. Sometimes that's really, really good. That's part of the complexity. It is a dance. Boo-hoo, there is no set answer. When we're starting out on a new career, a new focus, a new project, a new specialization, we are taught, and I think this framework is pretty decent, to say yes. Say yes. Can you write a sales page? You've never done it before, but just say yes. You're starting out as a copywriter, right? Just say yes. Learn as you go. And I think that's useful for a lot of people who would otherwise be stuck in inaction, right? It is better to do than to not do in that case. The complexity comes where, okay, you get some experience and now you're being pulled in a bunch of different directions. Your attitude and your filtering system needs to change. We go from saying yes to everything to now I cannot say yes to everything. What do I say yes to? That's a good problem. Call that a level up problem, right? A level up challenge. What we've just done here is we took a different approach to looking at a problem, the problem of shiny object syndrome. And I want you to remember this approach as I touched on for nearly anything. What is this thing giving me? How is it serving me? How is it protecting me? What is it protecting me from? Shiny object syndrome protects us, tries to protect us from going way too deep into the ocean where things are riskier. And you could run that questioning, that line of questioning on a lot. People pleasing, right? Other folks might say, just stop people pleasing. Put yourself first, blah, blah, blah. If that works for you, great. <laughs> if you find that you still end up people pleasing, what might be more productive is to say, well, how has people pleasing served me in my life so far? How has it helped me? It's helped you fit into groups. It's helped you avoid scrutiny. It's helped people accept you. So people-pleasing has had a ton of utility in your life. It would be too simplistic to simply try to squash it out. How can you still get the utility of the people-pleasing while starting to put yourself first? How can you still get all this utility of shiny object syndrome while gaining more focus and clarity on what you really want to do and gradually moving deeper into that ocean in a way that is still safe? So the first thing we ask ourselves is what does this give me? How does it serve me? How does it protect me? Then we move into what does it cost me? What is at stake? So what does shiny object syndrome cost us? Mastery, right? 
that level that we get to when we're deep in the ocean. It costs us everything that comes with mastery. Recognition, means, the fees that specialists can command, authority as a master on a certain subject. Shiny object syndrome costs you all of that. It costs you that depth. It costs you the clarity of focus. It costs you the simplicity that could come along with saying no to 80, 90, 95% of stuff. Wouldn't you agree that when you're saying no to 90% of things, life stands to get more simple, but you don't get that simplicity if you're saying yes to everything, if you're interested in everything, if you dabble in everything. You become that jack of all trades, master of none. It's probably useful for most of us to attain some level of mastery at something. Something we can fall back on. How do you know what that thing is? We'll dive into it in a little bit. I'm debating. I have a point on my notes and I'm debating if now is the right time to make it. Let's go for it. Let's try. It's a little complex. Many people have a goal of not succeeding. It's probably not conscious (laughs) because you wouldn't consciously say, I have this goal of not succeeding. But if we look at theology, teleology, Adler psychology, Adler says that if we look at our present moment and we assumed that we had a goal to be exactly how we are, here today, then what would that goal be? Interesting, right? Whereas Freud said our past is what affected all of our actions up until this present moment. Adler says it is the goal that we've had. It's future oriented. It was our goal that brought us to this present moment. That forces us to really look at ourselves in a brand new light. If my goal was to be exactly as I am here today, then what was that goal and how did I get here? And can I make a one degree difference in that goal to modify my behavior and get the exponential effects of that? I thought about this, it'll get a little bit personal. I thought about this in the context of my drinking. For those of you who don't know, I once called myself a champion drinker because I could drink a lot of alcohol, a lot. And it's something I struggled with. And I've been alcohol-free for almost two months now. And so I asked myself, what first, what does the drinking give me, right? It heals some pain. It's a distraction. It keeps me in the familiar. It was very familiar to me. All that, all that good stuff. So if my goal was to be somebody who drank a lot and got all those benefits from the drinking, yeah, that makes sense. But that forced me to look at myself and say, damn, my goal has been to be somebody who drinks a lot. I don't want to stick with that goal. I want to change it. And those are some of the seeds that were planted for me that with time, it didn't happen as soon as I had those thoughts. Believe you me, I first thought them mm, maybe two years ago. But those were the seeds that sprouted what eventually became the change. So it forces you to look at yourself in a different way. And this is a topic I want to go into more on future classes. So if you look back and say, huh, my goal, let's assume, let's just assume my goal was to be exactly where I am here today. Okay, can I get more clear on what a different goal is? On what the actualized, empowered, fully expressed version of me and what that goal is? Are you clear on it? Because if you're not clear on it, of course, imposter syndrome is, I mean, imposter syndrome too, all the syndromes. Of course, shiny object syndrome is going to rear its head for you way more often. If you're not clear on what you're moving towards, then you're kicking around in the ocean and every single raft you see is one you start kicking towards. Okay, I'm going to start kicking towards that raft because I don't know where I'm going and I need to be saved. And then you see another raft and maybe it looks bigger. Maybe it looks more safe. Maybe the guy who's throwing those rafts is talking very loudly. And you're like, maybe I should go to his raft. You start kicking towards that one and so on and so forth. But if you know, the more you begin to know this is the raft for me, the more you'll be able to kick towards it. So are you clear on what you're moving towards? Are you in love and fulfilled by what you're moving towards? 
If you're not, of course, shiny object syndrome is going to rear its head for you more often. Of course, alternate options are going to seem more appealing to you. Can you become more in love with what you're moving towards? How do you need to modify what you're moving towards so that you can be more in love with it? Is there always going to be some grunt work? Are there always some parts of the work that you have to do in your noble pursuits that you're not in love with? Yeah, probably. But if you know you're willing to tolerate those in pursuit of what you are truly in love with, what a great indicator, right? That's part of our grading system. I'm willing to tolerate the grunt work of X, Y, and Z because I'm in love with this outcome, with this journey. Shiny object syndrome will be minimized for me. The other rafts won't look as appealing to me if I'm so in love with where I'm going. So how can you make where you're going be something that you're in love with? You have full power and ability and you should, it's in your divine right to be in love with where you're going. We are not supposed to hate it. What's the point of that? So how can you make yourself be more in love with where you're going? How can you modify where you're going so that you are in love with it? When you have that, and that requires like, act, like actual thought, I wish I could sit here and tell you what that is and what that looks like for you. But that would be fugazi. We are not fugazi here. But the more you think about it, the more empowered you'll become. And the more it's uniquely you and your game. When you have that, now you can really assess opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is what you miss out on when you say yes to one thing, which is the equivalent to saying no to a bunch of stuff, right? If I dedicate my time here, I do not have that time to do this other thing. That's the opportunity cost. But when you're not in love with where you're going, it's hard to give a shit about opportunity cost. But when you are in love with where you're going, now you can really feel what the opportunity cost is of looking in other directions. You become better at evaluating what that opportunity cost is. Now, let me share my, share my screen. Here is a big question I want you to ask when you're evaluating options and when you feel like shiny object syndrome is rearing its ugly little head in your life. It's not really ugly. It's head in your life. Is that new thing interesting to you because you're trying to run away from a challenge? Are you looking at that raft hoping it saves you from your current challenge? There will always be challenges. There will always be challenges. Are you looking at this other thing, this other raft to save you from that challenge? If so, it's probably shiny object syndrome, and it's probably not an effective pivot for you. So if somebody is saying this new amazing thing is going to solve everything for you, and you're feeling hope that this solves everything for you, even if it's a little bit different than what you've been working towards, it might be a clue that this is shiny object syndrome literally tantalizing you by holding up some pretty shiny thing. So you got to ask yourself, is my interest <laughs> in taking this life coaching course, am I looking for that to solve something else for me? Yes. Ah, it's probably shiny object syndrome then. And it could happen for me with, <laughs> I joke about this in, in my mastermind group, with, with like a lot like, I'll watch content of a gal who's like, I grew my lash tech business. <laughs> and when I'm in it, I swear, I'll look at it and be like, I could be a lash tech. <laughs> That'll save me. <laughs> That'll take me from the hard work and the challenges that I'm currently facing. And I'll just have my nice little lash tech business. Shiny object syndrome, pulling me away from what I really love. So am I looking at this thing, hoping that it's going to save my current challenges with where I'm at? If so, it's probably shiny object syndrome. How should I be thinking instead? Instead, I should be thinking, there are always challenges. What can I do to help me overcome this current challenge and continue on my path? Continue on the path towards what I'm in love with. The corollary though, the nuance, the difficulty. Or is new thing, NT, 
appealing to you because you're starting to realize that OT, original thing, is not meant for you. Because if so, that's a great realization. And then it may be in your interest to move towards new thing. Because here is what tends to happen. The Dunning-Kruger effect. You start something, right? You know very little because you're a beginner. And why does this tend to happen? We call it beginner's luck. You just do so well. You're like, oh man, this is great. One, you don't really have any expectations. You're embarking on something new. So any win is a win. And you feel really good about it. You're like, this is great. It works awesomely. I'm going to stick with it. You stick with it. You keep going. You start encountering some of those challenges. You start to know what you don't know. Oh, I realized I didn't know this part of the process. I didn't know that your merchant accounts could get shut down. I didn't know your advertising could get shut down. I didn't know a business partner could screw me over. I didn't know people would want refunds, right? All the complexities that come along as you go further and further into the ocean. Then you get here. What so many people spend their lives doing is when they end up right here, they go back to something new. Go back to something new, experience a peak, get some some sort of win, right? Some sort of achievement. Oh shit, these are all the things I don't know. Back again, back again. They live in that loop over and over and over again. That is your jack of all trades. That is the shiny object syndrome loop of life. I'm gonna be a lash tech for a year. Oh shit, this is hard. I gotta put eyelashes on people all day. (laughs) This lady isn't happy with her lashes. Eh, okay, I'll write copy. (laughs) Oh my God, I write copy. I got my first client, so amazing. Oh, they never put my work online. I don't know how it did. They're not responding to me. Uh, Okay, maybe I'll do email list management instead. (laughs) Loop over and over and over again. If instead... You're going along and you've been doing it for a while. You start to learn some of the things you don't know. You deal with challenges. You overcome obstacles. You're going up the slope. And other things start to look appealing to you because you realize this is not for you. You're not feeling happy. You're not feeling fulfilled. You don't know what you're in love with anymore. Then maybe it does make sense to start again and explore something new. But if you're quitting here every time and it's been a pattern for you, then that's the maladaptive shiny object syndrome. And that's some of the dance and nuance that we got to think about. Is that helpful? When you know that this is a common curve that we go through when we embark on something, you can prepare for it in advance. How powerful. You can know that the valley of despair is coming and you can tell yourself, If valley of despair, what will I do? You can have your contingency plan mapped out and ready to go. Now, when you're in the valley, you're not spending months crying about it. You're not spending months feeling less than self-flagellating. You're simply looking at it and saying, oh yeah, I knew this was going to come and I knew what I was going to do. I'm going to overcome this challenge. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to try this process. And we can move along the competence curve so much more quickly. And when you do that, all those other rafts are still less appealing because you're clear on the journey you're moving along. Without that, when you're self-flagellating in here, that's when those other rafts look mighty appealing, don't they? But instead, you can know what you're going to do. You could have a broad framework. When I encounter challenges, I will step back. I will breathe deeply for five minutes, tell my nervous system that I am okay. And then I will assess the challenge in this way. It could be as open as that. So long as you have some sort of plan and you stick to it. It doesn't have to be that you're going to know what the answers are. That's not really a fair ask of you, is it? Because you're so in the beginning of the competence curve. So instead of trying to figure out what the answers are going to be, you can simply tell yourself, I am going to slow down and create the space for me to discover what the answers are. And by answers, I mean things you will try. 
because that's really all that answers are, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Things you'll try. That is how we move through the Dunning-Kruger curve and don't get caught in the loop that yields shiny object syndrome for the rest of your life. We spoke about is new thing, NT, appealing because you're hoping it'll solve all your challenges and say and save you. Are you hoping it'll save you? Is it looking good because you're losing belief in old thing, original thing, OT? What's the overarching theme to these questions? Why? Why is new raft looking appealing to you? Why is this object shiny to you? It's simple when you look at it on the surface. But when we're in it and our limbic systems are taking over and we're just like, that thing is shiny. I'm going to go towards it like a moth to the flame. We're not thinking about why does this seem shiny to me? We're not evaluating it with our full conscious. That's what I'm asking you to do. And here are some questions that are designed to help with that, right? Do I think this will save me? Is it promising to save me? Of course, that's appealing. You shouldn't judge yourself for finding that shiny, right? The marketers, us included, make things shiny for a reason. We make them shiny. What is the real evidence that this thing might save me? Is there any? Can, and this is where I I think it'll be most useful. This shiny thing that I'm looking at, why is it shiny? Can I take what's shiny about it to amplify me on my path? Can I use what's appealing to me about this other thing and keep it in alignment with where I'm going? Can it bolster my love of original thing? Probably yes. And when you start filtering opportunities through that lens, you kind of get to have it all, don't you? You can use a little bit of NT, new thing, in a way that moves you along the path of your original thing. How nice. And when you look at the guys who seem lucky, who seem wildly successful, who seem to have it all, it's because they do that. And for some of them, it happens very instinctually. They don't have to try to do it. For others, we have to try to do it. Either way is okay, so long as we're doing it. I'll repeat this question because it's really important. And I see it with a lot of my coaching clients. Are you trying to add another plate to your juggling in order to run away from something else. One of my coaching clients said he wants to spend more time with his family, right? A lot of us driven self-starter types fall into this. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to be more present when I'm with my family. I don't want to be thinking about work when I'm with my family. And yet we'll keep adding stuff on that requires us to stay in the office longer, to devote more mental faculties and time to our work. What's going on here? That's a bit of a tangled mess, right? And if we're assuming that we're meeting the goal, the subconscious or conscious goal we've set for ourselves, and we're tackling on more and more and more work, is our goal really to spend more time with our family? It might not be. And there's no morality here. There's no morality there. It just might be that for whatever reason, you don't actually have the goal of spending more time with your family. You're tacking on more and more to potentially run away from your family or to run away from yourself, to keep yourself so busy that you don't have the discomfort of sitting and doing nothing for a few minutes, (laughs) to keep yourself so busy that you don't have the 10 minutes to meditate because meditation can be scary, right? If you are adding on more, to run away from something else, simply getting insight to that, realizing that that's what you're doing and that you're moving towards a different goal than what you espouse could be really powerful. How can you clean some of that up? And we have, we have been trained to have that default orientation, right? More. How do we add more? I have one offer. (laughs) How do I create another? How do I do another? How do I tack on more? I have these social media accounts. Okay, let me add more. (laughs) Let me do LinkedIn too. Let me do this too. When is it useful to shift that orientation? Often is the answer. Shift the orientation from maximize, 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 more, more to optimize. 
How do I streamline what I have? Can I remove steps in the process? Can I remove products and offerings so that I can just really focus on these few core ones? Michelangelo made the David, arguably one of the greatest sculptures ever created, by what? Removing one slab of marble. He removed. He did not add. So you can create beautiful things via negativa, by removal. Shiny object syndrome tends to be all about adding, right? What can I add? Add on this other thing. Do this too. So instead of merely following those impulses, take five minutes, 10 minutes, big brain, thinking work. What could I remove? I forget who said this. I want to look it up so I can attribute it. But it's a beautiful quote. And it's, I know a system is beautifully designed, not when there's nothing else to add, but when there is nothing that can be removed. That is when a system is at its most beautiful, when nothing can be removed. So if each of you were to look at your business, your workflows, I am certain you would be able to find things that could be removed. I want to see what Christina said in the chat. Christina says, I always wish I had more hours in the day, but I know if I did, I would just fill those hours up with more shit. Yep, that's what we do. That's our orientation to more. It's also for us, for us here, not general human population, I don't think, but especially for us here, we have an orientation to solve problems, right? We really like solving problems. We're really good at it. So sometimes we simply create problems for us to solve to fill up the time. The consciousness is a huge part of it because if we don't catch ourselves doing it, we can't modify the behavior. So a lot of what we discuss on these calls are what I hope little doorknobs for you to push to create the awareness, to open the door to the awareness. I once asked a group of about 100 people, I was doing a talk, and I asked them, if you could only work four hours in a day, do you think you would make more money? Everybody raise their hand, Uh, the whole room. Why is that? (laughs) We, I think rightly, believe that if we worked less, we would actually make more. Why? Because we would be forced to be more efficient. We would be forced to delegate properly. We would be forced to create systems and we would be forced to focus on what matters. So the story of if I had more hours is simply training right? It's the programming we have of time is scarce, which in a lot of capacities it is, right? Versus how do I optimize the time? So we're trying to maximize time instead of optimize it. How can I instead optimize my time? The thing is that comes with a lot of unknowns. It's new territory. It's not familiar. Feeling scattered and wishing we had more time is familiar. So we choose that. And we're very comfortable with consistently saying, I wish this And I wish that. Are you ready to step up to the plate and start modifying your time, optimizing your time so that you operate in a new paradigm where you have time? It requires stepping up and behaving a little bit differently. Thank you, Bobby. W. Edward Stemming, every system is perfectly designed when there is nothing you can take away. So next time you see the ad and it looks like a shiny raft and you're thinking it might save you. Flip the orientation. Every time you feel pulled to add something on, here's the challenge. Flip the orientation and ask yourself instead, what can I remove from what I currently have? And how can I feel energetically good about removing that? I acknowledge that it is new for me to remove stuff. And I'm going to embark on that. Because there is a little bit of irony there, right? Once you have removed all the superfluous stuff, all the button clicking that you do for dopamine, once you get comfortable with the new territory of doing less, you have created that which can scale. It's hard to scale on messy systems. It's hard to scale when it's you juggling a hundred plates, right? You add, you, if you're at max capacity of plates and you add on another plate or two, what happens? They're all going to fall and crash. So by removing plates, 
you actually create the structure that could handle more plates, ironically enough. <laughs> so that's how you can uh, keep your precious orientation to more. By streamlining, by removing, you're building the systems that can scale. So every time you want to add something before you're allowed to add, you got to ask yourself, what can I remove? And you got to start to remove some things. Do you feel rushed? Are they working the FOMO really, really good on you? Do you feel where I have to get in this thing now? I have to grab this thing now. I have to do this now. Instead of following that impulsivity, what an opportunity to catch yourself and do the opposite. Ooh, I'm feeling rushed. I'm going to slow down. I'm feeling rushed. I'm going to put 48 hours, not a lot of time, 48 hours between myself and that decision. If it's still calling to me, if I still want to do it, okay, it may be worth pursuing. But what you'll so often find is that 40 hours later, you've forgotten about the damn thing, right? That's why we have abandoned cart sequences. <laughs> because when people put 48 hours in, they're like, oh yeah, it turns out I'm busy enough. You are busy enough, aren't you? So that's why on the other, on the flip side, we create abandoned cart sequences to try to combat that. But it's actually useful for us in our discussion of shiny object syndrome. So what I'll do late at night when I see the ads and they're very appealing and I want to buy something, I'll just leave the sales page that I've clicked to from the ad open in Google Chrome on my phone. I'll just... Because when you open it, it's native to the Facebook app, right? So, or Instagram app. And I'll say, open in browser. I put it in the browser. I just leave it there. I am not allowed <laughs> to take the action or buy the thing late at night. If I still want it in a couple of days, it's right there in my browser. How many times have I gone back and bought something? Zero. Since I've started doing this like six months ago. That's six months of stuff I did not add. Distractions I did not take on. Just leave it over there. Now there's one that has been popping back in my head that I may go buy, a little course on, on stuff. Pretty good, right? Versus being pulled in 100 different directions. So if you feel rushed, it is not an indicator that you should do it. It's actually an indicator that you should not do it. This played out for me really powerfully in crypto, in crypto. So if you follow any crypto communities, especially during bull runs, right? They're pushing FOMO so hard. Get in now, get the coin now. It's gonna 30X, this, this, that. I feel rushed, right? The adrenaline's pumping, your heart's pumping a little bit. Oh, I gotta get in now, I gotta get in now. I think it's gonna save me. I think it's gonna do all this stuff for me. They're rushing me. Instead of going along with them, which I've made that mistake, by the way, bought a $30,000 NFT. I don't look at what it's worth right now. We don't talk about that because I was rushed. So I made that mistake. Now I know if I'm feeling rushed, I got to do the opposite. I got to step away. I got to take a nap. It is more useful to take a nap, do nothing than to let all the hype, all the FOMO work its magic on you. Now it's kind of funny to be saying this as a marketer. I'm going to acknowledge <laughs> the contrasting elephant in the room here, because if I was speaking to you about how to craft sales copy, <laughs> I would be telling you to use FOMO, use all of this stuff. But we have to understand how it works on us, because it does work on us too. Even though we're often the magician waving the wand, we're so often on the other side of the curtain having the wand waved at us. So we know what they're doing. We can take a nap. We can put a pause in between. And what we often don't do is we don't pat ourselves on the back for when we take a nap because we don't celebrate when bad things don't happen, right? I don't sit and celebrate all the other expensive NFTs I didn't buy, but I should. So let's remember to do that. Hey, I was feeling a rush of impulsivity right? The shiny object was really looking really shiny to me. The FOMO was kicking in and I didn't do it. We could take a moment to celebrate that. Anytime 
we can tone down our impulsivity in a way that serves us is worth celebrating, but it's not habitual for us to do that. We tend to celebrate when good things happen, not when bad things don't happen, but we can start celebrating that. I really wanted to buy the whole pack of Oreo cookies so that over the course of the next two to three days when they're in the house, I could eat them all because that's what I would do if they were in the house. <laughs> but I didn't buy them. Okay, pat on the back. Good job, Laura. We resisted some impulsivity. That shiny object did not get us. So simply taking a break <laughs> could be so huge. Could save you so much time money and resources. I love that, Susan. We can call it the dodged a bullet award. <laughs> you dodged a bullet right there. We talked about the potentiality some things have to actually be helpful solutions for us to add on, right? Another way of thinking about this is what we call the bridge of incidents. That's a term borrowed from the manifestation world, but I want to give it more practical applications for us today. In the manifestation world, you create, you have your desire, your objective or whatever. You set the intention to have it. You assume you already have it. I think all of that is well and good. And then you're taught to assume that a bridge of incidents, something that will take you from where you are to what you want will appear before you. So you can now ask yourself about the shiny object. Hmm, does this look like it's part of my bridge of incidents? If yes, and if you give it 48 hours and you still want it and it still appears to be part of your bridge of incidents, okay, it might be worth walking across that bridge. But sometimes you'll immediately be able to say, no, this is not part of my bridge. And if it is part of your bridge, it'll keep coming back to you, you know? If it's part of your bridge, it'll keep coming back to you and you'll keep wanting it. But all those NFTs I didn't buy, all of those coins I did not get into, they don't come back to me, <laughs> turns out. So that's another criteria, another part of your grading system. Is it shiny object syndrome or could it be a useful thing? We talked about all the dopamine that we could get and how it could feel good for us to juggle a lot of plates and how busyness can be equated with feeling valuable. The problem with shiny object syndrome is that we're doing all of this in a very ineffective way, right? So how can we enjoy feelings of busyness in a more productive way? I will share my screen to show you. I love this chart. Perhaps when we're in shiny object syndrome, we're kind of like in between anxiety and arousal, right? A lot of challenge sort of plays to some of our skills. We're juggling a lot of plays. We feel pretty good. So I think shiny object syndrome tends to live around here. We're in arousal. Flow, a flow state, is when we get that delicious balance of challenge and using our skills. You feel flow when you're doing something and you look at the clock and you're like, holy shit, it's been two hours, right? Anybody ever had the pleasure of feeling that? That's because you're doing something that's challenging for you, but you get to use your skills to face those cha challenges over and over and over again. If you're not feeling busy enough, right? And you're not challenged enough, you might be over here in the boredom category. And that's where some of those shiny objects start to look more shiny to you, right? Relaxation is fine. We deserve to feel relaxed from time to time. So simply start to evaluate. These are all different processes and tools you could use to evaluate where you're at and what's really driving your motivation here. Am I looking to add something on because I'm too much over here? Okay. What can you add on that bumps up the challenge in alignment with your skills so not becoming a lash tech, right? In my case, that could bring about more flow. And I find this chart to be a nice way of bringing everything we've discussed together, right? Could it be part of my bridge of incidents? Could it be something that I add on that makes me more in love with the end destination? Is there evidence to support that? Okay, then it, mo it might be worth adding on to get me into this lovely flow state. But when we're adding on a bunch of stuff, right? Increasing the challenge that's not in alignment with our skills, what do we get? Anxiety, I'm overwhelmed. I'm juggling so many plates, but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere a common sentiment, right? Well, that's because we've loaded on a bunch of stuff that's not in alignment with our skills. We have not, in that instance, done this, right? We haven't made sure that we're clear on what we're moving towards and we're not 
certain that we're in love or fulfilled by what we're moving towards. Because when you're in love with what you're moving towards, guess what? It's going to be pretty aligned with what your skills are. That's why you love it. That's why hours pass and you don't even realize it. That's why you hold it in when you have to go to the bathroom. You're like, let me just finish this part before I go to the bathroom. If anybody's done that, I do that a lot. I, I hold in the urge to go to the bathroom until I cannot. <laughs> and that is when I take a break. That's how I know I'm in flow. That's what flow is. This breaks down flow so that is it is not such an abstraction. It's not ephemera that you just kind of catch here and there. You can manufacture it and engineer it more and more. The more you have all of the other pieces we discussed today. And we're at an hour. Let me look at the chat one more time. Who here, this, I feel, let me, let me be honest with you. I feel like this was a little bit of a challenging talk because uh, they're abstractions. But I tried my best to give handfuls of specific examples so that, again, when the shiny object syndrome is looking real shiny to you, you have the power and the ability to evaluate it instead of, being at its mercy and feeling like you just have to resist. Because just brute force resisting, though it could be useful, is not the most fully embodied play. Thank you guys so much for your kind feedback. I'm really glad. Thank you, Christina. I'm glad it's been the best so far. Oh, man. This really means a lot to me, and I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my loves. Next week, something really, really, really really good is coming. And that's all I'm going to say because I have been in super flow state (laughs) creating some of the stuff we're going to start to get into next week. I love and I appreciate you guys so much. I will create the thread in our Facebook group. That is the Mindset and Messaging Mastery group. If you are not in it, Issa, please drop the link. That is our community where we convene, share thoughts, takeaways. I drop little nuggets. I will share the notes there and we will do our six word updates which for those who do not know, they are distillations, takeaways, questions, open loops, what you're gonna chew on in just six words. Where's my thumb? There we go. In just six words, it forces us to synthesize and get really uh, brief and concise. And so we will create the thread for that based on this presentation. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you, Connie. And I will see you next week, next Tuesday, same time, same place. Thank you for being part of one of my favorite parts of the week. I love you all so much. See you next time.